Welcome to my Leap of Faith podcast. I'm going to take you on my journey of living a life that felt completely inauthentic and unfulfilling to discovering myself through the help of healers, crystals, psychedelics, plant medicines, and learning to trust my own intuition. I'm continuing to let go and leap every day to find deeper clarity into my own gifts and what my soul's purpose is in this lifetime, and I want to bring you along for the ride. She told me as I woke from walking asleep Below it at night she saw your feet A heavier feet stand deeper Deeper than you know Farther than you go this wild mother Hello everyone, welcome back. I'm so excited to be recording again. Um, the last two weeks I actually recorded, I think two or three weeks ago. So the reason was because Richard and I went on an adventure. And if you're in the Energy Tribe, um, the My Leap of Faith Energy Tribe group on Facebook, I posted photos along the journey. So you would have seen all the beautiful places that we went. But that meant that I had to record um, episodes before we left. And so for me, it feels like it's been a while. (laughs) And it's um, also interesting that at this time, the topics that I'm talking about have kind of a sequential order. And I'm going to just keep following that order so that everybody can be along the same track or the same journey. And today we're going to be talking about sacred sites. And sacred sites are also called apus in Quechuan. So you'll see the title of this episode is having that at the end because to me that's what I I call them, especially when I use them in my opening prayers. The term apus was brought to me through my teachings with Puma, Freddie, Cusepe, Singona. And I use that when I open up sacred space and I call in my sacred sites. So the reason that sacred sites are important and why it's going in sequential order, remember we first started with connecting with the clairs so that you can start hearing your internal self. The the next thing was the spirit animals and connecting with the animals that are here to support you. And now it's going into the sacred sites or the apus because that's rounds out your circle. And by that, I mean the whole point of the last, I guess, three weeks is that next week we're going to be learning how to pull it together to create your own personal um, opening prayer for sacred, sacred space. And for me, this part of my journey came in not when I first started taking um, shaman, shaman lessons with Lori Andrews, but um, it was later on in the journey as um, as I told you and I was studying under Puma and he brought the significance of sacred sites into the equation and basically <laughs> the reason that all of these sites are sacred and you know you can google sacred sites there's even a deck that you can get of, of um, cards this deck is called the sacred sites oracle cards by Barbara um, Mikkel John Free Um, and essentially it's all of the sites that were holy at some point in, in this evolution of our planet and, um, not even in the religious sense, but a lot of the times in history, I mean, it kind of goes back even to the birds. So I'm going to start there. So when religion was taking over in our planet, 
a lot of the leaders at that time would follow where the energy of the birds were. So the birds would migrate and kind of form around energy portals. And that is where that they would then decide to build churches. Or even if we go further back into the indigenous cultures, that is also where they would know is where sacred land is. So as evolution happened and as, you know, religion took over, a lot of the churches were built on indigenous religious sites. So you can, like, let's say if you're in Europe and you know all of these churches, the truth is that usually they built the altar on the spot of where that energy portal was. And so the thought of energy and sacred sites has been with our planet forever. You know, it's not something that is um, new. (laughs) And it's something that is very sacred, especially to indigenous teachings. And the reason is that when you connect with a sacred land, it's like, for me, it feels like a remembrance of you've been to that land before, even if you have never been there. And that's another weird thing. So I'm going to use one of my sacred sites is um, Giza in Egypt. And I have never been to Egypt in this in this incarnation, but I have always felt such a connection to Egypt. And I always have even longed or hoped that I will get there someday. So much so that last year when I went to Turkey to Istanbul for a wedding and um, I was like, is there any way that we can, you know, go to Egypt? And and I tried to figure it out and how we can make it work. But um, the times, you know, right now are not the safest. And for a lot of travelers and I was with my mom and she didn't feel comfortable with it. But I have always felt like that those lands are me. And the reason that I feel that is that they are. So what does that mean? It means possibly I've had past lives there. But what happens with the energy of a sacred land is it's literally tied to your, I guess, DNA. And when you identify which sacred lands want to be in this incarnation with you to assist you, you feel into like understanding, first of all, what are I, I, I was taught, well, we pull four, one for each direction. And I remember um, right from the get-go, I knew three of them. So the first was um, was Sedona. I spent a lot of time in Sedona, and I have always connected with that energy there. And so I knew that Sedona was going to be one. And also last year, I went to Mount Shasta. So I knew I felt even more so connected to Mount Shasta than Sedona. So for sure, I was like, I yes, Mount Shasta is one of mine. And then I knew Giza because Giza just, like I said, has always resonated or Egypt has always resonated with me as a child. And then the fourth, I didn't know. So... Some of these will be like super easy for you to identify with and some will be like, I don't know. And the so the reason that we're doing this and why it's important to identify four is because when you create your opening prayer for sacred space, for each direction, you call in your an animal that's there to support you in that direction. And then you also call in an apu, which is the sacred space. And what I feel when I create sacred space and I call in each direction with my animal and, and the apu, for me, it feels like 
the energy goes up my spine in the back. And once I feel it come all the way up to the crown of my head through the spine, I then say a ho. And that's me acknowledging that it's here. And so what I, the purpose of all of this is that when you open sacred space, you're not here to hold it by yourself at all. And if you try to, it will tax your system. You will get sick. Because when you're a light, you shine. And it's like a beacon for all energies to come and and check out. Now, there are energies that are denser and there are energies that are lighter. And essentially what you're asking when you pull in all of your allies, the animals and and the sacred sites, is you're asking all of that energy to hold the space with you so that you are only receiving what is best and and for your highest good. You're not receiving energies that are just looking for vessels to hide in or uh, ways to be expressed through a vessel. And trust me, it does happen. Um, I, I think I've talked about this before. I was in a session with someone where I did get sick and I I knew it wasn't the person's fault, but their vessel was also an open energy source and they there was something in that vessel that I wasn't protected against. Now, since then, not only do I open up the sacred space with all of my animals and my sacred sites, but I also sit on top of a selenite because my weakest chakra is my um, sacral. And I know that now. So for me, I always have that extra protection just in case there is an energy that is hiding in that other person's energy. And when I say that, I don't, the person themselves is not the dense energy. We are just the vessels for energy to work through. So in that case, she was on her awakening path and opening up herself to energy. And if you don't know how to protect your energy, which I always go back to saying, it is the most important thing in any work. Because if you aren't protected, you're inviting, you're literally the beacon that is inviting all of the things to come towards you. Um, I think I've talked about this before. When I was in Bali, uh, we came across a girl that started traveling with us and she had like this kind of uh, felt like serpent energy come out of her and kind of come and literally in her physical form, come and try to get me and attack me. And then the healer got in between us and he explained the next day, like what I just opened her chakras and that energy was flowing and it was looking for another vessel. So it's real. (laughs) I guess that's the main thing. I've experienced it in many ways. And it's now that I have experienced it. And I think everybody has to go on the journey to understand why protection is so important. But this process of creating your own personal sacred prayer is that it's a deep connection to your higher soul and, and the guides that are here to help you on this incarnation. So Each person that opens sacred space is going to have a completely different opening prayer because each direction will hold their own animal, their own connection to that animal and the message from that animal, as well as the site that is there. Because the energy of the earth through that portal of the the sacred site is also going to come in when you call it and invoke it to hold that corner, that direction. 
And so all of this is to say (laughs) it is the cornerstone of any spiritual practice. I do not do anything without opening first with the sacred prayer because I know I'm not strong enough to hold all of the energy of people. So if you've been in an energy tribe chat, you know I always open up with the sacred prayer. I always first Palo Santo, and then I open with the sacred prayer. And I am asking my guides, my animals, my sites to come in and help me hold the energy. Now, I know that me alone is not holding the energy, and I know everyone else on that call is also a pillar of light holding the energy. But if you aren't st- like setting the intention of the space being protected, then again, as I said, especially when you have many lights get gathering, it's just you're asking for trouble if you don't have your guidance and your your kind of guide rails set. So on our trip last week, um, Richard and I, he set up the whole itinerary and he's very good at, at, at planning trips. Um, he does a lot of mic- miter- <laughs> motorcycle trips. Um, and so he planned this whole trip and every day he had like, you know, from sunrise until sunset, we were planned. And it's interesting because the first stop on the on the trip was this um mountain called glitter mountain and it's in utah and i he didn't know we were going there i didn't know we were going there but uh one of the people that he works with told him about it i think a couple days before we left and he thought oh it's going to be an easy stop on the on the trip and so that was our first stop and it was literally a mountain full like on the outside full of selenite it was all selenite and you know the selenite that we can purchase it's usually like this cloudy color i have one right here it's um it's kind of this kind of cloudy selenite well this mountain had crystal clear selenite all over it and so i was just like oh my gosh so we walked it we i took some pieces and i put them in the car and it was amazing So then um, the whole point of this trip was that Richard had won a lottery to go to the wave, which if you haven't seen, I'll insert some photos here. And um, it's just this most amazing um, protected space, which they only allow 16 permits per day. So it's very hard to get into and it's a hike, but it's it's a lot of photographers like you know, just want to get there and Richard loves taking pictures. But um he, that was the purpose of this whole trip. And then the, the next day we went to this, um, we were in Kanab, Utah, and there's this, the biggest animal sanctuary that exists in the U.S. is called the Best Friends Animal Society. And I think they have 4,200 acres of protected space for animals and any kind of animal that you could imagine is there. And they are not, it's the type of, um, sanctuary that they will carry care for all of these animals until their dying days or if it's a young animal that's adoptable they will try to adopt it out and they do free tours um every day that you can sign up for and the, our tour guide's name was todd 
And as he was giving us the tour of the of the lands, he started talking about the juniper trees because in Kanab at on their lands there were a lot of juniper trees. And he, and this wasn't part of the tour. He just he just started talking about it. And so then he goes on to say, um, you know, there's a Native American lore around juniper trees. They they let the berries fall to the ground and then they let the animals eat the berry and then they collect the seeds and they call these seeds ghost seeds and they use them for protection because it's it's something that's been in their culture. He's like, if you go to the Native American lands, you're going the Navajo lands, you're going to see these ghost seeds. And anyways, like, on the tour, you know, it was interesting. And I was like, huh, that's cool. Well, the very next day, Richard has on the itinerary for us to go to Monument Valley, which is on the border of northern Arizona and Utah. And he brought me to the site where, if you've seen Forrest Gump, after he's running across the U.S., where he stops and says, I'm done. He, he Richard brought me to that point. There's like a marker on the road that says this is where Forrest Gump stopped. And there sitting at the site is a Native American woman. So I went over and, and started talking to her. She had like a little table of um, jewelry and, you know, beautiful stuff. But of course, I saw the seeds. And so I asked her about them and she said, those are juniper juniper seeds. And I said, do you call them ghost seeds? And she said, yes. And she goes, you know about them? And I said, I just learned about them yesterday. And so she tells me a story of her father, um, who is now passed, um, and is Nav- a Navajo um, indigenous person. He was being chased by someone, and he took refuge underneath a juniper tree and grabbed a handful of berries and just put them in his mouth and started chewing on them. And he turned around because he thought he was going to get grabbed, and the person was gone. And she said, and he, I grew up always knowing that we always need to have the juniper or the ghost seeds on our body somewhere for protection. And, and so I got, she had, um, some bracelets. So I got one for myself. Let's see if I can focus that. And no joke, the rest of the time that we were in the Navajo nation, not one person had the ghost seeds. So I was like, i I know I was meant to meet that woman and I know that that was supposed to happen and I was supposed to hear the story the day before and it all just happened and flowed correctly. And then the next day we went um, to a sunrise tour of the the Monument Valley. And again, that's on the Navajo land. And so it's protected and you can't go into it without a, a tour guide from the nation. And right away when we got there, it was like dark out, you know, no, it wasn't sunrise yet and I just felt like this sense of peace and calm and we we get like we're driving in this big truck to this point and I'm gonna insert a photo of where we watch the sunset and all of a sudden I just felt like I guess like there's such calm come over me and in, and in a way it felt like I was home like I have lived these lands before and I had Along, I had brought in crystals with me just in case the call had come up for me to bury them. As you guys know, I do crystal gridding, but I only do it if there is a need for it. And right at that, on that space where we were watching the sunrise, there was 
And by I say a call, <laughs> it means that it comes out of nowhere. I'll be totally engrossed in some other thought in my head and then out of nowhere it comes in. So I knew, okay, this is where they want me to bury a crystal. And it's a crystal that I brought from the mines in San Diego. And before I bury a crystal, I will breathe my energy into the crystal um, three times with an intention. And then I'll find a, a spot that's secluded and I'll bury it. And that was the first. And then we got back in the truck and he drove us around to the different um, interesting sites. Like there's um, hieroglyphs, there's um, different arches, and there actually are native um, people still living on that land. And they, he said that they have been offered to be brought in water and electricity and they re refused it. They don't, they want to live like their indigenous tribes did back before modernization. And I had the hit another, like a couple hours later that it, there was another crystal that needed to be buried um, on a different side of the land. And so I did that. And I walked away think, feeling like I didn't plan the trip. <laughs> you know, I didn't know. But I, I know, I mean, Richard is very good at finding these really unique experiences. And I know that he brought me where the energy was needed, even if he consciously did not know it. You know what I mean? Like, he's not into energy. He loves traveling. He loves, um, you know, trips. And he, he especially loves Utah. But he didn't realize that the energy was needed in these spaces. And then we went to breakfast right after that. And in the breakfast, there was a gift shop. And I got this um, Native American um, rattle. And they had, I don't know, they had maybe five. And I listened to each one because I have another rattle that has a higher tone. And I wanted, when I picked this one up, I knew this one was the one for me because I, the sound. Because to me, I'm all about sound healing and sound the way that it, it, it almost feels like it tunes you up. So I knew that was the one and I will go, this is the one. Okay, so we bring it home. And there's another story coming for that part. But then um, the next day we went to Petrified Forest. And um, I, if you've guys been there, it's a lot of barren land. Um, but then they have these areas where it's a lot of fallen, um, huge trunks of trees that have crystallized and they become petrified wood. And I had the feeling, like Richard was not feeling good, so he didn't get out of the car. So I got out of the car and I knew right away that not, it's like this download came to me. The reason that you stopped at Crystal or at the Glitter Mountain first was because you were supposed to get that selenite for this land. And I was like, oh, so I go in the back of the car and I dug out the, the little pieces that we had gotten. And I also took... um one of the crystals from here and I carried them around and I'm looking for a spot that they're needing to go and the land there is very hard so I couldn't bury them so then I'm just walking and kind of just looking and all of a sudden I see one of the um fallen logs is hollowed out in the middle and it's the perfect spot for this selenite and my crystal so I you know I breathed on them and I put I tucked them into the actual petrified wood 
And then it made, made so much sense that the energy of going to Glitter Mountain was meant to happen first so that that energy could be carried to the petrified forest. And that is what crystal gridding is. You don't know. You're just literally the vessel of bringing energy from there to there to there. And also I infuse my energy in it too because I'm the person that's gridding it. But I couldn't have known, and neither Richard, because he didn't know we were going there, that that's what was actually, I believe, the purpose of the trip. So I, after I placed that one, I felt like my work is done. Like I felt like this is why the whole trip happened. And then we ended up getting back. Um, and that night, uh, we were, we both slept like we were exhausted because we had gotten up basically for every sunrise while we were gone. And that night or the next morning we slept in and Richard never sleeps in. So at like 8 a.m., we hear and I I jumped, I like sat up and I said, oh, baby G must have gotten my rattle off of the shelf because normally I had put it right up here on the shelf. And as you guys know, she likes to sit on my medicine bundle, but she's never walked on these shelves. But I thought she must have pulled it down because it literally sounded like that in the hallway. And... And so Richard, he was, so he jumped up, he came downstairs and he's looking around and then I followed him and I came into my office and no, the rattle is there untouched, not moved, not, not moved an inch. And then he goes, is anything missing? Someone was just here. Is anything missing? <laughs> and I was, no, nothing's touched. Everything's fine. It was the first time that he heard spirit with me. You know, I've heard things before and I'll ask him, did you hear that? And he's like, no. But this time it shook him because he actually heard the rattle. And it was this rattle because this rattle makes a distinct sound that this is what it was. And what I felt is just this overwhelming sense of protection from the native lands that we just had gridded. And it almost feels like a thank you and... I almost like a gathering of that energy now in our home. And that is why sacred sites are so important. The energy that they can bring to you is it feels so much stronger. And in a way, like if I had to have pick words, vibrant. And that's why I say when I call in the Apus, I feel them, that energy go up my spine. It's very strong. So this is all to say, this week, I would like you guys to focus on tuning into what lands call to you. They don't have to be places that you've been before, but that you just know deeply your heart and your soul is longing to be reconnected with that land. There is a reason for it. And that it's like it's here to be your ally. And then try to tune into which direction it's wanting to, to help you with. I, I shared with you guys all about the directions and what each one is about. And that is another part of it. Is it shedding? Is it nurturing? Is it grounding? Or is it creation? And tuning into where it wants to be in your medicine wheel will help you to understand where it wants to be placed in your opening prayer, which is what we're going to work on next week. And if you are able to come to the Energy Tribe Chats 
this today, I guess it will be today, <laughs> um, we will start that, that lesson and we're going to talk about all about um, creating your sacred prayer. So if you aren't able to make that, don't worry. I, it, there is going to be um, uploaded to the YouTube channel, that chat, but and then I will also do an episode about it next week so that you really understand why the sacred prayer is so important. Um, and I really am starting with these foundational lessons because as I said, if you aren't protected, you're just an open vessel for anything to come through you. And I'm telling you, it. I can feel them. <laughs> and you don't want that in your body. And you don't want it lingering because what they're looking for is a home to like hibernate in and to act out through. So I hope that this is helpful. And I hope that you guys understand that these are the baby steps that lead to the much bigger steps of, of tuning into your own intuition and your own gifts. And that is why it's important. It literally is the cornerstone of everything. So I hope that I see you guys um, at the Energy Tribe chats this week. It's going to be at 11 a.m. Pacific or Pacific, Pacific uh, Daylight Savings Time. <laughs> and... I, I just am I'm welcoming you all. I always say that every week, but I want you to know that this community is growing and it's growing for a reason. I think that there is a big need for us to all gather together and I, I really want to welcome everybody into that energy. So I'll see you guys next week.